The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. This is Arthi Shaw with The Homes Report. And today's episode will be good for all of you that, that missed South by Southwest this year, like myself, um, or those that went and just want to hear um, someone else's perspective in terms of what um, what dominated the the festival down in Austin. Um, I was about to say this was the first year that I'd missed it in the last several years, but that's not true. I am I was there for 2013, 2014. I missed 2015. I was there in 2016, and then I missed this year, which is always a bit of a bummer because a I love the festival, b I love Austin, and c I always a great excuse to go back down to my home state of Texas. But we have a great guest on today's show to um, talk about the festival this year, Chad Latz, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at Conan Wolf. Chad and I actually sat down in, in uh, 2014 at South by Southwest uh, to sort of have um, the similar conversation that we're, that we're having on the podcast today, only we didn't record that one. Um, and he is a, a keen observer of all of the big technologies and their impl- and their implications for marketing and PR. So this will be a great conversation for everyone, whether they were at the show or not. Welcome to the show, Chad. Hey, thanks for having me, Arthi. Great. So you were live in Austin. So actually, tell me... Um, Tell me what days you were you were down at South by Southwest, so we can get a, and, and maybe paint a little bit of a picture for those of us who missed the festival this year. Sure. So I uh, got down there uh, late late Thursday, early Friday morning, uh, and uh, and hit the ground running. Loads of people, uh, lots of energy. You know, I think uh, some speculation that the crowd might have been a little bit smaller this year than than, than years past. Um. But you know, uh, you know, lots of uh, lots of different brand activations to to take note of. Um, but spent quite a lot of time in the conferences between uh, Friday and uh, end of day yesterday. Yeah, you know, I think that's been that's sort of been an issue at South by right for the last few years. It's almost that we it peaked maybe five years ago when that um, the, the crowds just haven't been as robust since then. Um, and your, your initial feeling was that, was that it was a slightly thinner crowd than you've seen in years past? It, 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 seemed, it seemed that way. It didn't seem quite, quite as, uh, quite as, quite as busy, quite as crowded, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't have nearly quite the challenges getting into some of the sessions that we had seen in years past. You know, the queues were a bit more, seemed a bit more manageable. So it was good, 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 good from the vantage point of taking in content as a participant. But you know, mm-hmm. I heard uh, other people note that maybe it lacked a little bit of the energy that they had seen in years past. That notwithstanding, there was still like a lot of really, really amazing, uh, a lot of really amazing sessions and a lot of really um, vibrant dialogue going on. And did they? Did the organizers change the the format slightly this year or the schedule this year so that interactive? film and music were all happening simultaneously instead of staggering them out? Uh, not that I was aware of. I mean, there's always screenings, screenings, film screenings happening during the interactive session. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't really, there wasn't really any overlap so much in terms of the programming. Okay. Yeah. And Cause I knew at one point I had heard that they were thinking about doing that because 
in this day and age, it's like where where does interactive begin and, and film end, and then even sort of music, they all they're they're all so much more integrated, I think, now than they've been in the past. And I, when I spoke to the um, the organizer whose name I cannot remember, but I will include it in the show notes. Um, he, I remember he was sort of speculating the idea of doing that for this year. And, um, but it sounds like, it sounds like they, they kept things, they kept things, um, the same for this year. So, uh, so, so what, what was the big topic that everybody was talking about this year? So, you know, I think in years past, you know, there have been a number of topics on, you know, uh, VR, AR, social content, engagement strategy. But this year, I think far and away, the, the largest topic of conversation was artificial intelligence and uh, intelligent augmentation. And, you know, not because every session was focused on that specific topic, but because really AI, I guess, has seemed to become the underpinning of everything that we're going to be experiencing on the web going forward. And it's it was sort of interesting, you know, I think was speaking to some fellow conference goers and, you know, a year ago this time, nobody was really talking about um, AI at all. But given all of the developments in the past year, it was really on on everybody's mind. So, you know, it's, you know, from macro conversations about how AI is going to impact the economic, social and political landscapes to the very sort of specific ways that it's impacting technologies that are being used now in uh, marketing and communications capacity, whether that's in ad tech, content delivery, uh, chatbots, and 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 the like, so, so it was really um, it was really on everybody. It was very much on everybody's mind. You know, the the whole idea that you know uh, artificial intelligence could be responsible for producing content that's been so optimized to the individual user that it becomes almost impossible not to click. <laughs> on what's being presented in front of you. Uh, it was fantastic presenter, Eric Horvitz, who's a, a futurist AI expert and a fellow at Microsoft who, you know, went into, you know, quite a lot of detail about, you know, the impact. And he talks about having a, uh, uh, an, uh, an assistant, an AI assistant at his office in, in, in Microsoft that has access to 16 years of his calendars and of his, and of his personal data, and it can predict for him which meetings he's going to be skipping <laughs> and not attending that are on his calendars. So it's it's uh, it's really it was really sort of interesting. They also talked about it quite a lot from the vantage point of the malicious intent of of AI and if people if it falls into the wrong hands. But also, of course, a lot of the benefits in terms of understanding the opportunities to unlock patterns and how people. Uh, and how people are thinking and present new ways to unlock creativity or to create safety net, nets in, in high-risk situations. So it was really, really, really interesting uh, subject and really factored its way into a lot of different topics. I bet many of our listeners, when you said AI-produced content, their ears probably perked up. Can you talk a little sure. bit more about about that? And in, in I don't know how much detail they went into, um, but what that would look like. Because I mean, of course, you know, there were there were the content farms of a few years ago that just sort of you know loaded content with sort of keywords, um, but the content itself was, was virtually unreadable. Um, I, I'm assuming the, the AI-produced content would be far more sophisticated. Um, what was there any more detail about that? 
Well, you know, we had already seen examples of, of AI being used to generate film content. There was the, that original piece of film called Eclipse that won quite a lot of awards at Cannes this past year. Uh, he was talking quite a lot about how, you know, with image recognition technology built into AI that now, you know, AI has the ability to evaluate an image and automatically caption what's being seen in the image itself. Uh, the optimization of headlines and keywords and text based on what people are actually clicking and applying those algorithms back to the content that that is being automatically synthesized. So, you know, what it, what it, you know, the supposition, and of course this was, this is a big concern of a lot of people is that artificial intelligence will replace, you know, human, human function. And in the, and in the world of content and editorial, you know, if you've got a machine that can now compile, compile and collect, uh, collect and caption images, synthesize articles and, and optimize headlines based on how other users are behaving online, uh, you know, there's, there's now sort of the ability for machines to deliver that content in a very targeted way, even down to the individual level. Was there a bit more suspicion about um, using technology, in this, in this instance AI, um, without, without sort of supplementing that with some kind of human analysis or intervention and, and and I asked that because on the you know on the back of 2016 where um, it seemed like there was an over-reliance on data without really taking into account how nuanced and perhaps fickle human behavior can be um, you know I mean it, it failed us both in in, in a lot of the uh, predictions around the presidential election I think brexit was another example where um, the data looked one way and the outcome was uh, one in a different direction. Yeah, no. So I, I think it's a I think it's a good question. And one of the things that's one of the things that actually did come up is that the rate of the rate at which the technology is advancing is really outpacing the ability for for um, people and organizations to put an ethical framework around how the technology is actually being deployed. So, you know, this is all, this is, you know, while AI is not a new concept, you know, the, the rate at which the technology advan is advancing is, is considerable and, and now it's being applied in lots of different ways. And, you know, a con conspicuous absence is this, is an, is an ethical framework and what, you know, what role does, do humans play in this? What role do humans play in imparting and in the training of the systems? What biases go into those systems as a result of the fact that they're being designed and trained by, by humans. There's lots and lots and lots of, of questions there. Um, I think, it, you know, for that reason, you know, some people were referring, in other sessions, they weren't talking about artificial intelligence, but they were talking about intelligent augmentation, where the role of the technology is to, uh, is to present possibilities, but they still very much rely on Human human skills and human curatorial decisions to determine you know which to, you know what what gets presented or how the how the content or material or solutions get used. So, were, did you see any? I mean, we we talked a little bit about content creation. Did you see any other interesting applications for AI 
um, either applications or, implica or impl implications for um, PR and marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think um, one of the other one of the other big hot topics, you know, it sort of plays into that. The whole AI platform is was bots. Uh, it was a fantastic session called Inside Bots, where there was a, a panel uh, moderated by Loïc Lemure, and uh, you know we, we had had representatives uh, from uh, Facebook Messenger, from Microsoft. And they were talking about, and also a, a, an amazing company called Luca. Uh, the speculation, really, in terms of the connection to our our business, is that you know the thought is that within the next couple of years, almost every brand online will have some sort of bot technology implemented as a way to either you know drive customer service or some other facet of of customer interaction. And uh, you know. Um, the gentleman from uh, Facebook it was talking about a new product that they have called M, which is going to be embedded in Facebook Messenger, which will basically be an AI-powered um, an AI-powered bot that will be rolled out. Uh, there was a whole lot of conversation about the need to be able to design for uh, chat-first kind of applications or conversa you know, conversational user experience. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, the prevailing thought, at least, you know, part of what I was hearing come out of South by is that, you know, the vast majority of businesses will be applying some sort of bot technology into their businesses within the next, uh, within the next couple of years. And so, you know, we, we have to start to think in the communications and marketing space, you know, well, what will that, what will those interactions look like between the brand and, uh, and the consumer, how does the, the brand voice come across in, in, a, in an automated, you know, bot-oriented chat technology? Um, you know, how will, a, how will a consumer feel attended to? Um, what are the high-value and low-value conversations? So, you know, if, if we're going to be thinking about, you know, a chat bot as part of a communication strategy for a client, you know, is the, is the nature of the interaction between the consumer and the brand uh, very transactional in, in nature, or is there value in the conversation itself? Uh, an interesting example, uh, a woman by uh, the name of, I think her name's uh, Eugenia Ludia, uh, has a company called Luca, or Eugenia, I'm sorry, her name's Eugenia Cuida. Uh, she has a company called Luca. Uh, and she was talking about that that importance of evaluating the sort of the spectrum of value of the conversation. Uh, and actually, you know, South by Southwest is oftentimes an uh, an interesting place to introduce new platforms. And uh, this uh, this past weekend, she rolled out uh, a new AI application. Uh, it's a, a chat bot where you basically train the bot. It's called. Uh, you, can, you guys can check it out. It's called Replica. R e p l i k a, and uh, it's now available in the in the app store. But the the whole idea is that you know you talk to it and it and you train this chatbot to basically express itself and emote itself in the same way that you do. So you give it access to all of your texts, all of your Facebook and uh, Facebook posts and tweets, and it understands and and and. You know, uh, parses through all of the language that you use and can then sort of express itself back to you in the same way and it continues to get smarter 
the more and more you talk to it. In terms of the the, the chat bots, um, I mean, do you think do you think there's a lot of promise there for for this to be an effective uh, platform? I mean, I, I mean, the, the parallel I'm thinking of is is when is when we replaced operators, right, with with sort of automated um, answering services that um, you know you 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 talk to them. But I, I know many of us have been in a frustrating loop with um, with some of these automated operators where they can't oh. understand you or you're asking for something that they haven't learned yet. Um, and then you just end up pressing zero the whole time to try to get a hold of somebody. So from a so from a brand perspective, I mean, is there is there any concern that that you know, since we are such an experience oriented, consumers are so experience oriented these days, that that this this might actually end up hurting um, you know a, a consumer's perception of, of of the brand's customer service, or is there a feeling that this is quite sophisticated and it actually will be able to to deliver on the promise? It's funny that it's funny that you mentioned that. There's actually sort of so there's two dimensions of this, right? There are chatbots that are, you know, powered by text, and then there are chatbots um, which are, you know, you know, patterned and use utilize voice. Uh, you know, a couple of <laughs> comments. I think it was Loic uh, Lemure who basically said, you know, some of the conversational chatbots. He talks about talking to Alexa and using Alexa. Um, for, for some for some of the tasks, and he says he's extremely frustrated because it can't understand his French accent. So that you you know you have you have just some sort of logistics about how at, for 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 voice activated technology how it how it understands your voice and the effectiveness of that. Um, I I think brands will have to be really smart about under what set of circumstances they utilize these technologies. I think there are certain things like you know order me a pizza. You know certain transactional things that you can ask a, a bot or some sort of bot technology to do for you that are transactional in nature that doesn't that don't you know that don't really require a high level of of customer touch and I think you know brands are going to have to be smart about where to plug the technology in and for what sorts of circumstances it's not definitely not going to be the kind of thing that's going to be useful and valuable in every in every instance, and I think you know you could experience backlash if the idea was that you were going to decommission all of your customer care representatives in in favor of some sort of automated technology. I'm glad that you brought up Alexa and sort of the Amazon Echo. I mean, given how given the success of of, of the Echo, do you think that that there is a comfort with AI, and I mean, in actually literally bringing AI into your home? Um, that we we didn't have before. I mean, especially at a consumer level. I think I think there's a I think there's a it's, there's been a big step with that. I mean, the the technology in and of itself is is relatively inexpensive. You know, they've you know they've been really there. You know, another big trend that we saw, um, you know, at South by Southwest this year is this idea that everything's a platform, and I think in the case of uh, Alexa and the ability to build skills for developers and and brands to be able to build skills on top of the platform. You know, people making you know their their technology and their interfaces open to the developer um, community. I think I think we're going to continue to see deeper and deeper penetration and interest and and ability of people to utilize some of these technologies. I do I do think there's the question of you know, to what degree are people going to be are going to are people going to feel comfortable with, you know, having um, 
having an automated assistant available in their home listening to what you're you're saying now i think uh you know there's a there's an idea that it's you know the technology is only listening really when you're when you use the wake the wake command but you know i think people do have a little bit of <laughs> concern and suspicion about that right i mean you even mentioned with the replica um app i mean with that sort of the the ai platform that i guess you'd have on your phone you you have to give it access to text messages and all of your social media platforms as well right yeah the, yeah the idea there is that uh you know you give it you, you pre-train it by giving it access to you know information that you've published so it it better understands you and how you emote and how you express yourself uh and by and then by continuing to talk to it over time it continues to learn so it's really you know it's it's you know you have to sort of ask yourself to what to what degree are people going to be comfortable with that i've i've actually gone ahead and and registered it for the app and had pre-registered for the app and have downloaded it have have yet to start to use it but you know you do sort of start to think about okay well i'm going to hit the go ahead and hit the go button and plug my account information there and let it uh let it process everything that I've published. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to see uh, to what degree a machine is able. I think I named mine. You have to give your you have to give your replica a name, and I think I named mine Chadbot. Huh. Clever. It's like a, it's like a mini. It's like an AIU. It's an AI me. So we'll have to see we'll have to see what ends up happening. I'll uh, I'll let you all know. But if you start to get communications that sound like me, but you have your questions about whether or not it is me, you know, you'll have to let me know. Well, that's interesting because it's supposed to be both a digital friend, but also a personal diary. So is it, do you name it after you because it's supposed to be the digital you or do you, or is it supposed to be a friend? So do you get, uh, yeah, it's like, it's a question that we're going to have to answer. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very good point. You know, I'll be really interested to see how it all, how it all behaves. So, so what about, um, I think one thing you had mentioned, which I think is interesting because as, as marketers, we're always thinking about screen time and how much people are on their screens now and, and how that's how they're consuming experiences primarily is, is through their devices. But, you, but there was a, there were, it seemed like there was some conversation about sort of moving people more into sort of, you know, using connectivity to, to channel sort of, or, or to create experiences rather than having people staring at their screens all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 exactly right. I mean, I think I definitely detected another another theme coming across the conference, which is this idea the idea or the importance of of making technology um, invisible. Uh, you know, looking for ways to reduce the amount of time that you're spending on screen, but but doing that by increasing the degree to which you are uh, essentially connected. It was a really interesting example of this. It was a uh, uh, talk uh, between a, a head of innovation over at Google, uh, Ivan Pupyarev, and uh, the head of product innovation at Levi's, uh, a guy by the name of Paul Dillinger. And they collaborated, the two companies collaborated on the production of a jacket, which is essentially a, a wearable or an IoT device that delivers information and content to you. It looks just like a regular denim jacket. It's part of their commuter series, but um, it, it in fact has the technology embedded into the jacket. Google came up with a, a yarn fiber that has all of the technology and connectivity embedded into it. They put it on a loom, they wove den denim out of it and fabricated the jacket. So, you know, it, you know kind of interesting 
So it's sort of an interesting comment commentary, which is that, you know, when technology is quiet in the background and allows people to do what comes natural naturally naturally to them in a human in a human capacity, which is in, in that example, it's wearing a jacket. Um, it allows you to spend less time looking at your phone and, and more time engaging and interacting with the world. So it's very, very interesting. You know, it's kind of a kind of kind of again also reinforcing this idea that everything's a platform. You know, they were talking about this the technology that went into this jacket. Google's vision is that this now becomes a fiber that can be woven into not just Levi's denim, but you know, basically any uh, any garment, so that anybody can design garments that include this level of of technology and connectivity embedded into it. So you know that was you know that was an example of where that kind of came through the idea of using um, conversation and voice uh, as the as the layer. You know, so we talked a little bit of ch uh, chatbot technology, but you know the 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 theory here is what happens if we do away with the screen altogether uh, and control everything by voice. Isn't conversation a much more natural way to communicate than menus and buttons? So very, 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 very interesting topics that we saw kind of spring up in lots of different panels. This idea of making technology invisible and uh, and really um, catering more to the sort of human and behavior, you know, sort of human desire, human behavior, natural human behaviors. I mean, this this idea that everything is a platform that seems in some ways a continuation of kind of the internet of everything, right? Yeah, yeah that's 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 for sure. Uh, went went to a great session about IoT. You know, a number of different um, number of different uh, leaders of different uh, IoT device makers, and they were they were talking about this. You know, the degree to which the technology sits quietly in the background and makes your life better and more efficient versus presenting data uh, to you um, instantaneously or or kind of in your face. I think one of the, one of the technologies is a technology called whistle and whistle is basically a, a tracking software for your, for your dog and monitors the activity of your pet, uh, the degree to which they're sort of moving around. Let's gives, gives the pet owner peace of mind. And so the value of that application is being able to give you real time data at the moment you need it about what your pet is doing and where your pet is located. Juxtapose juxtapose that go ahead oh i was just i i just i was i was gonna say oh yes no i i know whistle because once our dog yeah. ran off and and ever since he did that he now we we now know where he is at every moment it's 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 yeah no, i know <laughs> i totally get it yeah so you have a yeah you have you, you've got whistle for your dog uh but then they talked about you know other technologies that sit quietly in the background so the interoperability of you know your uh your light switches and you know thermostat controls and you know your you know they when they talk about IoT it's not necessarily about cramming um, <laughs> the, the, the gentleman by the name of Tom Coates who's the co-founder of a company called Thinkton uh, was talking about you know you know uh, an IoT refrigerator isn't about putting like an iPad on the front of your refrigerator so that you can watch multimedia it's about Building smart technology into the re into the refrigerator that makes the device more effective and works in an interoperable way with the rest of the household. So you know it's interesting. It's like a, it's about evaluating kind of that spectrum of value and 
to what degree you want the technology to be forward in our life in our lives versus something that operates quietly in the background. So, you know, some of the things you're talking about are, are things that you know have come up at, at in the past at both South by and other sort of tech um, conferences. You know, things like IoT, the connected house. VR, 3D printing, um, which I know you, you haven't referenced yet, but I remember a couple of years ago when, when that was the thing that everybody talked about um, because there was a keynote and, you know, they, they did some live 3D printing. So, so how much do you think South by is about introducing new platforms and kind of looking at what's next versus looking at the technology we already have and, and maybe technology that was new? I mean, it looks like, it sounds like, I mean, AI, as you said, is not new, but this year the focus was very much about um, new applications. Um, I wonder how much did they, you know, did did some of the sessions and speakers sort of re revisit 3D, VR, um, you know, these things that were so hot a couple years ago, and now the real question is, is okay, we know that this technology is available, but what are some practical applications? I think I think on the you know on the on the on the 3D printing that 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 didn't really come up at all. I think you you probably remember. I guess it was a few years back. Maybe it was when. Uh, you and I bumped into each other a few years ago where Mondelez did the, I guess they did the Oreo. There was the Oreo activation where you could 3D print your own Oreo. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't really, there wasn't, we didn't see anything like that as part of the festival this year. I think, you know, VR has really started to tip because the prices of headsets themselves have plummeted considerably and, you know, there's a, a lot more. Uh, a lot more organizations, news organizations, as well as brands interested in use, utilizing um, that platform as a communications medium. So, you know, there continues to be a lot of interest there. Um, you know, as much as much now as as um, as ever before. We did see some interesting new technologies. There was a a great uh, brand a great brand installation by Sony uh, in in conjunction with the uh, Japan factory. Which uh, you know, they were showcasing some really interesting technology. There was one; they had one uh, setup where you could you, you could hold a product in your hand, and it was a and you were standing in front of a screen, and the screen would recognize what product you were holding in your hand and deliver content and message to you directly from the screen. So you know, we were seeing some we were seeing some new technologies. It was definitely a tech I would say a tech heavy focus um, this year. I did. Uh, I mentioned Replica as being a, a new AI product that you know has just been um, debuted, and a new platform that was debuted at the festival itself. So you know, I do think you know while while there are some some perennial themes that continue to garner the interests of festival goers, um, you know, topics like you know content and how to make content engaging. You know, we are we are continuing to to, to see some advancements and. And some of the technology specifically. So, just based on the coverage, um, it seemed like this year was a bit had a bit more of a political bent than years past. Did you sense that on the ground? You know, it came through. It's it's interesting. It sort of came through in different ways and in lots of different capacities. You know, there was quite a lot of conversation about um, fake news, and as a result. You know, a lot of conversation about what we saw in the recent election cycle. Um, we're living in a world where we've got an administration that indicts the indicts news organizations. So that, you know, that definitely drove a a, a lot of political undertone um, in a number of the sessions as well. Even as it related to, <laughs> even as it related to the whole AI conversation, 
the speculation that um, these technologies could be used for malicious intent um, and to the degree that maybe they have been used for malicious intent came up. So there's definitely there definitely was political undertones, you know, running through running through the conference. Some some people being a lot more overt about them than uh, about their political leanings than others. Uh, but it definitely was that definitely you know, there definitely was that undercurrent. So sort of revisiting fake news and you know and what that what what that means because we we had the innovation summit a few. Um, a couple months ago in Chicago and fake news, I think was, was brought up in every single, um, session except for one. Um, because there, there could be some pretty strong impl like implications for brands there. Um, and I, I think you and I have talked about this, that it's not like it's necessarily new, but the, the information does transmit faster than ever before. Thanks to social channels. D did that come up at all? And in, in, in sort of what, you know, that, that this may not stay contained to the political realm, um, especially in, in, in sort of in, in the same, I mean, with the, I guess, fervor that we've seen um, after the 2016 election. Yeah, you know, so that that did come up, that actually did come up quite a bit um, in the sessions. There was one session in particular, there was a representative uh, from the New York Times, Associated Press, Politico, um, you know, and there was a lot of a lot of conversation about the the implication of fake news from a variety of different points of view. There's the, the frustration, of course, that, you know, you have, you know, editorial teams at major news outlets that put a lot of care into vetting uh, information sources and are, are now sort of being, you know, being uh, indicted as being fake news, even though they've, you know, have well vetted sources. Um, you have the role that the platforms and the technologies themselves play. So, you know, the, the fact that, you know, a lot of these, the algorithms in, in social and also even on some of the news platforms are optimized for, for click activity, um, or you have the phenomenon of, of filter bubbles, which means that, you know, you have a, you know, bias that's inherently um, introduced into, you know, the, the majority of things that you see or read online. And of course, if a, an element of fake news gets introduced into that ecosystem, you know, it's uh, you know you might be surrounded with uh, information that gives you the perception that one thing is one way over another. There was also a lot of conversation and talk about you know what to be focused on because a number of these media outlets, whether it's on the social side uh, or it's on the the traditional or mainstream media side, you know, there's a lot of conversation on what on what to focus on as it relates to the idea of fake news. Um, We've all had the experience of looking at something in our newsfeed and saying that this is so, this just reads to be so outlandish. But, you know, what a lot of the outlets are focusing on are not the statements or the, the news stories that appear to be so outlandish, but rather uh, the ones that have the, 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 the possibility of maybe appearing true, because those are the ones that tend to be um, the most dangerous. A number of the platforms are also focusing on developing technology products or underlying technologies that spots patterns in the way fake news is being um, written so that it can be detected using um, machine learning and algorithms too. So you know, the, whole, the whole idea of fake news is, is, is a, an important one. You know, you asked about the context of brands, you know, is that a, potentially is that a tactic, is fake news a tactic? 
that brands might might choose to take. You know, my thought about that is that there's always been situations, or there but there have been past situations where brands have um, maybe uh, enlisted uh, influencers to uh, pro- to promote a certain point of view about a product or a brand. You know, and in a in a covert way, we've heard about this at different points in time. Um, I think you know the 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 big challenge that you know we have now with the with the way the technology works is is you know basically how news and information is is spread and uh, and how you know through you know as a result of things like filter bubbles where we we often find uh, times find ourselves um, enshrouded in a point of view that may or may not be accurate. So switching gears a little bit, um, any notable brand activations that you saw this year? Um, I know it seemed like brands were scaling back a little bit on their presence of, of South by, um, did, did you see sort of a continuation of that or did you see any big notable activations this year? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I I would, you know, you had asked about, you know, kind of past, past activations definitely saw, um, Definitely saw that the the displays seemed to be you know not nearly as grand as maybe we had seen um, seen in the past. There were quite a few that I thought were were really fantastic. Uh, the I think I mentioned this the Sony example was was really was really wonderful. Loads of immersive technologies um, in in partnership with Japan House. They had robotics, uh, lots of interactive um, interactive. Uh, displays and exhibits really really um compelling uh national geographic had a really fantastic activation really uh wonderful content and augmented reality uh augmented reality application on top of uh some of their photography exhibits nasa had uh, quite a uh, attracted quite a lot of attention through a virtual reality uh activation that they had as well but you know, to your to your, to your question, it, it definitely seemed like the scale of the brand activations were were smaller than maybe what we've seen in years past. Well, Chad, anything else about South by Southwest 2017 that is notable that I haven't asked about? You know, I think what you know, some of the other things that we, you know, we did take a look at were, you know, different people talking about innovation frameworks and how to drive innovation throughout organizations. That's always a, a big topic, and you know, how do you connect user need in a push-pull environment? So lots of lots of topics, uh, uh, lots of sessions about pushing innovation throughout organizations that were interesting to reference. Um, and then, you know, just I think a, a big this big idea of really putting human needs first at the center of uh, at the center of any kind of technology activations that you may be doing and I think that you know that plays really nicely to where we where we are in the in the communication space and in the PR space about you know really earning the attention of public so whether it's from the vantage point of of content or technology activations really putting ourselves in the in the in the minds or and from the perspectives of uh, individuals or consumers, you know, really allow us to, def- to design an experience that's going to resonate best with them. So this idea of really putting the, the human needs first at the center of technology activation was something that really pulled through in a considerable way. 
Well, it's always great to talk to you, Chad, about South By. It was a few years ago that we got to do it in person, but um, almost as good to be able to talk to you on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Arthur. And that concludes another episode of the Echo Chamber. I'd like to thank our guest again, Chad Latz, for such a perceptive and, and thoughtful uh, recap of South by Southwest 2017. And, and the director of South by Southwest, whose name I couldn't recall during the show, is, is Hugh Forrest. And he's actually been with the festival since 1994 and actually had uh, sat down with me for, for a great uh, conversation last year, which I'll in, include in the show notes. Um, thanks to our production team at Marketeers, and thank you to our podcast sponsor, March Communications, who uh, produced the very, very smart PR podcast, Hacks and Flax, which I highly recommend you check out if you haven't already. And we'll be back soon with another episode. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers.